we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Matthew 27, from verse 45, it reads the accounts of Jesus' death on the cross. And it says, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Your endurance in the Garden of Gethsemane your moments with the disciples, the Last Supper, the betrayal. We reflect on a perfect one, a holy one, who willfully gave up his life for us. We honor you this morning, Jesus. We declare this morning that there is no greater name than the name of Jesus. We welcome you into our hearts Jesus. This morning, Lord, we don't just want to think about Easter and go through the ritual of attending a Good Friday service and in Sunday a resurrection service. We pray, Lord, that your story 
would be etched into our souls and the truth of your story would become ours. Amen. Amen. I know that you've been welcomed, but I want to say welcome to church from my side as well. Um, it really is an honor to preach the word this morning. And um, as we, we are here and the theme is unshakable, the, when we look upon the cross of Jesus, um, are you guys okay with the sound or should we switch? Huh? Is it okay? Okay. Because it's echoing up here. So I'll move here. Okay. All right. Because I was speaking to myself there and I don't listen. <laughs> what we speak about an unshakable event and the thing that makes this event unshakable is the fact that it happened. It's something that has already happened. It's a moment in history that we can reflect back to. It's an historical fact. So um, they say that the Jesus' death on the cross is almost undisputed. The Quran does claim that Jesus did not die on the cross, and many Muslims believe that the substitute for Christ actually died in his place. But when you start to speak to Muslim scholars, there is a shift in thinking taking place. There was a very famous um, apologist that spoke to a Muslim teacher, an imam, and he said that in the Muslim communities, they have to come to terms with the historical evidence for the death of Jesus, and not so much now ask whether he did die, but ask why? So when we look at, at the cross of Jesus, when we think about Good Friday, it's not just something that we're inviting you to this morning to say, hey, look to the cross. We don't, there's a cross on the screen. Don't, we're not inviting you to look to the cross and try to convince you that Jesus is good. Trying to convince you that he did something for you on the cross. No, we're telling you what has happened. It's a past event, friends. It's, it's a moment in history that has already passed. And that's good news. That is really good news. The death of Jesus is one of the most significant moments in time. Um, it's affected lives for centuries and centuries. But it has also caused a lot of turmoil, a lot of um, disputes, a lot of wars around the life and the death of Jesus Christ. So why is this person so famous? Why is that image of the cross seen as the most famous symbol in time? The cross of Jesus Christ. The very thing that we come together this morning to commemorate, to celebrate, to remind ourselves of. And I want to take us through a couple of scriptures this morning. And what I love about the Word of God is it is true. And this morning, my aim is not so much to convince you that the Scripture is true, but to tell you the Scripture, and the Scripture is true. <laughs> In the same way that we don't think about the cross of Jesus and wonder whether it really happened. No, it happened. We have to come to terms with what has happened. And the same way when we go into the Word of God this morning, I'm not going to try and convince you or try and explain to you all the detail. No, we have to come to terms with what the Scripture teaches because it is true. And in that, friends, I want to give you an incredible promise that it is good. <laughs> the fact that this Bible that I'm holding in my hand is true is good news. Can you say that with me? It's good news. It's good news. I'm going to show you why. 
There are seven statements that Jesus makes on the cross, seven things that he says that are basically his final statements. Now, whom of you know that when someone says something just before they die, you should listen, all right? That's normally quite important. So Jesus makes seven statements, and we're going to just focus on one of them this morning. We can spend the rest of the day and the weekend elaborating the other six as well, but some of us have to go camping, okay? (laughs) Not saying who. John 19, verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Now, maybe you've heard that before. We sang some of it this morning as well. It is finished. What is finished? (laughs) John 17, verse 4. I have brought you glory. This is Jesus speaking to his Father when he prays the prayer. I have brought you glory on earth, finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus cries out on the cross, It is finished. He prayed earlier and said, Father, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. What was this work? Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This was not something new. This was prophesied right throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah 61, 1 to 3 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is a messianic prophecy over the one who would come and liberate the people of God. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful hairdress instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that, they may be glor- that He may be glorified. And we're going to read that again, but I want to set it up for you once more. Jesus cried out on the cross and He said, It is finished. Father, I have finished the work that You've sent me to do. What is this work that has already been done? It doesn't need to happen again. It's already a truth in history. He has come to bring good news to the poor. He's been sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, to proclaim freedom to those who are captive, who are in bondage the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. So this is true. This has already been done. This is something that Jesus has already finished. Meaning that if you find yourself in a place of addiction where you are bound up, there is a deeper truth for you this morning. If you find yourself in a place of mourning, of sadness, of discouragement, there is a deeper truth for you this morning. 
If you find yourself in a place where you're spiritually dead, you cannot see the truth of the gospel. The Bible teaches that the God of this age has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe so that they cannot see. If you find yourself there, there's a deeper truth for you this morning. If you are sick, there's a deeper truth for you this morning because it already happened. We need to understand that when Jesus uttered those words, it is finished. There are things that he has already set in place. There is a victory that he has already won. There is an enemy that he has already conquered. It is finished. It is finished. And you get to align yourself with something that is true. Now, why is this really good news Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Under one of the seats, there is a, an exemption from this scripture for one of you. No, there's not. <laughs> no one gets a free pass. <laughs> all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are guilty Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The rightful payment for our works, our dead works, is death. None of you would stay in a company where you do not get paid for the work that you've done. Unless they tell you it's a startup. The wages of sin is death. The rightful payment that you and I deserve because of the things we have done is death. Spiritual death, the inability to have relationship with God. There is no communion between light and darkness. There is no communion between that which is holy and that which is not. So the wages, the rightful payment, what you and I deserve because of our sin is death. Spiritual death, spiritual blindness, spiritual darkness, spiritual brokenness. And friends, we need to understand that when God spoke the universe into creation, the spiritual came before the natural. And when you live with a spiritual darkness or a spiritual death, it will manifest into physical brokenness in your life. You do not get to ex exempt yourself from that. It's a truth. But... But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, there is a wage that belongs to you and me. But there is also one who came to pay the price that you and I were supposed to pay. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our, um, our futile minds, and I know some of you are very smart, but our temporary minds <laughs> cannot comprehend the depth of this truth that God put on someone who was perfect, holy, and blameless, the accusation of all of us collectively throughout the history of time and to come. And then a substitution took place. That Jesus took upon himself our judgment. That you and I were supposed to be in the accusation seat and Jesus took you off. Jesus took you off of that accusation seat and he placed himself there. 
and He put on you the righteousness that belongs to Him. I'm going to try and give you a glimpse. There is no limitation to the relationship that Jesus had with His Father. There was no lack of devotion or lack of intimacy or lack of nearness that Jesus had with His Father. There was no place where the Father didn't invite Jesus to come very close the righteousness of God, meaning you stand in right standing before God and He looks over your life and He says, it is right, it is good, it is in order, it is in place. Because that is what the Father spoke over Jesus. And that substitution means that you get to carry a righteousness that you did not earn, that you do not deserve, but it was placed on you. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, But He, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. Marinus asked earlier, whom of you was sick this morning? When God chooses to heal, it doesn't necessarily look towards you. By His stripes, we are healed. So we speak about Good Friday, the day that Jesus died, and it's a Good Friday. But friends, it's good because through His death, there is the full payment of sin. It's a truth statement. I'm not sharing with you good advice this morning. I'm not trying to motivate you to love Jesus more. I'm not trying to motivate you to come back on Sunday, not here, Elaris Park. I'm not trying to motivate you to go home and love your Bible more and maybe read your Bible a bit more. I'm not trying to motivate your soul this morning. I want your spirit to hear truth. When Jesus died, He paid the full penalty for sin. It does not need to be paid again. When Jesus took your place on the accusation seat, you do not have to sit there anymore. The book of Revelation tells us that the blood of Jesus silences the accuser, the devil. So he wants to come and condemn you again. He wants to place you back on the seat where Jesus sat. And he says, don't you remember what you did this morning? Don't you remember the way you spoke to your wife or to your husband last night? Don't you remember that thought you had during the week, that person that you don't like so much? And the accuser comes and he puts you back on the accusation seat but the truth of it is finished means that you don't have to sit there anymore because Jesus took your place and He paid the penalty in full. The enemy can no longer come and claim from you a debt that was already been paid. It is paid in full. Through His death, there is victory over death. You do not have to be fearful of death because Jesus defeated it. There is an eternal life that awaits for those who belong to Christ. We do not have to fear death. This mortal body of yours will come to an end. But then there's a glorious resurrected body that awaits you for all eternity. Through His death, the power of sin is broken and someone cry out, Hallelujah. Whenever I visit some of our Joburg churches, there's a, there's a vocal fire that comes from, from some of the people. Can we get some of that vocal fire? Through his death, the power of sin is broken. Come on. Some of us shout at rugby matches. Not so much because your team is winning, but you're shouting at someone. 
May we shout out the praises of our Savior. The power of sin is broken. There's a scripture in Matthew 9 where it says that Jesus looked upon the crowds and He had compassion on them because they were harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And friends, there's a space where in your sin you are a slave to sin and you will obey your sinful nature. And you will produce after your sinful nature. The wages, the product, the fruit of sin is death. When you and I act in our sinful nature, the product of that in your life is death and brokenness in your own life, but also in those around you. But praise be to God that through His death, the power of sin is broken. You do not have to listen to sin as your master anymore. There is a victory that is yours. And again, this is something when Jesus said, it is finished, it's past tense, right? It's not something that still has to happen. So there's a victory that rightfully belongs to the children of God. It's already been done. It's not something you have to go and earn. It's not something that you have to try and unlock by reading the right verse. It's already been done. We position ourselves in something that is true. It is finished. Through his death, the death the sting, the fear of death is taken away. Through his death, the enemy is defeated. Oh, friends, when Jesus died, <laughs> the enemy's power was broken. We get to stamp on his feet. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority. What's missing? What's left there? What's left out? Nothing. All authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples. The accuser comes and he, and he produces lies in your mind or in your heart. You get to put him in his place. Why? Because Jesus died. Because the enemy has been defeated. You do not have to entertain him. He knocks on your door. You do not have to open. Through his death, it is finished. Through his death, there is newness of life. And through his death, there is an invitation to life. Ephesians 2 verse 1, to, I did tell you that I'm going to read a lot of scripture, right? Okay. Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 5. As for you, say as for me, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now say that to your neighbor. You were dead in your transgressions and your sins. Okay. Some of you have been waiting to say that to your spouse. It's like... <laughs> And you get to point fingers at me this morning, all right? <laughs> he said it. <laughs> no, no, friends, the Bible says it. <laughs> As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So he's speaking about a people who used to believe and act a certain way. You were once dead. You were once living um, in the ways of this, the, uh, the ruler of this world. You were being led by the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, which, who is rich in mercy, made us alive 
in Christ Jesus. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. See, friends, there's this glorious story in the gospel that is accomplished by the death of Jesus on the cross. That we have a God who is holy, and we have an us that is not. <laughs> and there's the separation between us and God because of sin. And church culture, let's call it traditional church culture, religious culture, and everything around your society says that you have to work your way back to God. And if only you can do enough, well done for being here this morning. You could have slept in. Kudos to you if you come back on Sunday. Remember to read your Bible on Tuesday. Pray for your neighbor. Don't drink too much. Don't swear too much. Oh, you sweared. <laughs> Try again. You were dead in your trespasses. And something that is incredibly important for us to know, again, not a motivation but a truth, in your dead state, as long as your spirit is dead, you can produce nothing that pleases God. If you are not born again, your greatest efforts, you can memorize this whole Bible and quote it from day to night. None of that pleases God. Out of a sinful state, out of a sinful nature, you can only produce sin. None of those works bring you any closer to a holy God. But the good news of Good Friday is that God became man. And He took upon Himself what we, can't, we couldn't take on ourselves. There was an exchange that took place. So through death there is life. How? How do we get to participate in what Jesus has already done? John 12, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Unless we identify with the death of Jesus, we cannot identify with His life. Unless we choose to die with Christ, we cannot reign and live with Christ. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. So there's a space of you and me coming to a place of dying so that we can live. Jesus had to die. Friends, we need to understand that the cross wasn't just a way for all of this to play out. Jesus had to die because the penalty of sin is death. God couldn't just make a magic word and say, okay, cool, it's all forgiven, it's under the carpet. No, the legal penalty for sin needed to be paid. Justice needed to take place. And the way for you and I to walk in this newness of life that the death of Jesus now brings forth is to die ourselves. So through His death, there's newness of life. And in our identifying with the death of Jesus, we get to live in the life of Jesus. So the Christian baptism, the believer's baptism, gives us this picture. 
that when you go under the water, you are declaring that my old life is now dying with Jesus. And here's the good thing about you dying with Jesus. When you identify with his death, you also get to receive the fullness of what his death accomplished. The payment for your sin. The victory over sin. The conquering of death. When you and I choose to deny ourselves and choose to die with Christ, to lay our lives down, we get to also receive the fullness of what His death accomplished. Then when you come out of the water, you are identifying that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, that Christ died that those who live would now no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and was raised again. So I come out of the water as a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And now as I come up, I'm not coming up in my own abilities. The same power that rose Christ from the grave also now lives in me. And that power enables me to walk in newness of life, to walk in victory over sin. There's an incredible substitution that took place that I mentioned earlier. My shame, my guilt, my condemnation was placed on Him. His righteousness was placed on me. He restores my true identity. He restores my true calling and purpose in life. I am raised to life. I'm seated alongside Him in the heavenly places. I am an heir to the kingdom of God. I am victorious. And I have authority over sin and darkness. I'm going to ask Elzanda to come up. I can't see you there at the back. So there's an identification that we get to take part in. When we choose to die with Christ, we get to live with Him. And the, the scriptures that we've been reading in Isaiah 61, there is a victory over whatever it might be that is tormenting you, what is discouraging you, what is causing shame to sit on your heart that is causing you to fall back into sin over and over and over again, there is a victory for you this morning. There is a newness of life that you and I get to live in. And I want to ask you, and maybe you can close your eyes, as we reflect this morning on a Good Friday, we're not reflecting on a feel-good message We're not reflecting on a motivational sermon. We're reflecting on something that has happened and you and I have to come to terms with it. There is a truth and Jesus proclaimed it is finished. Are you currently experiencing the newness of life? Do you live in the victory over sin? Who's got a hold of who? Do you see the life of Christ made manifest in you? Do you see Christ being formed in you? Do you see your nature changing? Do you see a behavior change that takes place because Christ is formed in you? Do you see your life bear the fruit that accompanies those who believe? Have you come to the foot of the cross of Calvary and received the forgiveness of sin? Or are you still carrying the shame and the, the, the guilt and the condemnation on yourself. Have you come to the end of yourself, surrendering in totality your life into the hands 
of him who gave his in exchange. While your eyes are closed, I want to read probably one of the most famous scriptures. John 3, verse 16 to 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Praise be unto God that when we were lost in our transgressions, unable to save ourselves, He made a way that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Again, friends, it's a truth. And your soul needs to hear this morning that the message of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit in you is not to condemn you. God has not come to condemn you. But in order that the world might be saved through Him. This is important. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The enemy wants to lie to you and tell you that when someone, whether it's a preacher, whether it's the Holy Spirit, whether it's just your Bible, speaks into an area of your life that is not in line with Scripture, with truth, the enemy wants to lie to you and say, see, they're just judging you. They just want to condemn you. They just want to make you feel guilty. Jesus, truth himself, says, I have not come to condemn you, but you need to understand this, that your natural state is condemned. Apart from him, you are condemned because you have sinned. The rightful payment for your sin is death. The rightful deserved weight that you need to carry for your sin is condemnation. Our natural state apart from Christ is condemned with the fearful expectation of death, the only thing for you to look forward to. Unless the Son of God came to seek and to save those who are lost, unless the Son of God came to exchange His life for ours, unless the Son of God came to took upon Himself the sins of the world, that would remain your natural state for eternity. But whoever believes in Him is not condemned because He has come to set you free. I want to invite you this morning. If you need to receive Jesus this morning, and allow Him to exchange your life for His, to exchange your sinfulness for His righteousness, to exchange your shame for His glory, I want you to stand. I know it's a scary invitation, but I want to tell you this morning, this is not about you or about anyone else sitting next to you. This is about God speaking into your soul right now. And He has come to do a glorious work for you this morning. You have not just come to sit in another Good Friday service 
and walk away and the newness of life that Good Friday has accomplished is not evident in your life. Some of you are here and you've been in church for a long time, but you are not seeing the fruit of Christianity on your life and you are trying harder and harder. Won't you come to the end of yourself this morning and align yourself with it is finished. Thank you. Anyone else? I want to give one last opportunity. We need to understand John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, inclusive, that's everyone, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whomsoever, that's exclusive. That's those who choose to respond. The invitation to make an exchange is open. The responsibility to respond lies in your hands and mine. Anyone else before we pray? I'm going to ask you to pray a simple prayer with me. And then I want um, Anya and the team, um, we're going to give you something in your hand, just where you are sit seated. And I want you to fill that in. I know some of you have been in church for a long time. Some of you might be here for the very first time. But I want you to fill that in because what I want you to walk in for the rest of your life is the truth that it's finished. See, the enemy wants to lie to you and say, okay, this is a good moment, but wait till next month, next year. There was a season in my life where over and over and over again, I would give my life to Jesus. I would feel guilty about stuff and I would give my life to Jesus over and over and over again because I did not understand the gospel. I did not understand that when Jesus said the words, it is finished, he meant it is finished. And I want to help you walk in the truth of the gospel because there's a victory that rightfully belongs to the people of God. So would you pray this with me? And I'm going to ask the rest of the church to pray this with us. Lord Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you that you died for me. You paid a price that I could never pay. And I pour out my gratitude. I pour out my praise to you. Thank you for, your, for the forgiveness of sin. And right now, I ask Holy Spirit that you would fill me up and that your presence would fill every area of shame, every area of condemnation, every area of guilt, every area of fear. I give my life to you. I declare with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that He raised from the grave. Father, I thank You for these precious people. I thank You, Lord, that this morning they are stepping into a covenantial agreement with You. And You are faithful. You are faithful, Jesus. Would You come and fill them with Your Spirit? And Your Word says that Your Spirit is the Spirit of truth. 
And would you cut through every single lie of the enemy? We declare them null and void. There is a position that belongs to them. And I pray that they would walk in it in Jesus' name.